Hey, it's Mark Brand, and welcome to Season 2 of Better. If you're new here, it's a podcast about hope and resilience and leaving the planet a better place than we found it. As usual, my excitement is palatable. You can hear it in my voice. I can feel it in my fingertips. One of my favorite people on the planet, my brother Harold O'Neill, is with us today. There is a part of me that wants to avoid conflict. I learned that as a coping mechanism. And instead of eradicating that part of myself, and this is what I want to say to the listeners, any part of myself that I find dysfunctional, I don't want to eradicate it. I want to make that part of me my friend. So the addict in me, I want him to be my friend. The one who is anxious, insecure, and a hot mess, I want them to be my friend. And the way that I open the pathway to that starts with my connection to myself. Harold has genuinely been called one of the greatest composers and producers of our time. The awards line up and show it, but he's also collaborated with everybody from Jennifer Hudson to Jay-Z. He played Swiss Beats birthday party a couple of weeks ago. His humility only outweighs his talent, just barely. And the next album's in the works right now. He's scoring multiple things at all times. Um, But how you're going to know Harold in the world is that he is one of the most creative, insightful, and distinctive musicians at work today. Everybody has written about Harold at this point, but the New York Times compares the gravity of his talent to history's greatest composers, including Duke Ellington, Maurice Raval, Kenny Kirkland. He's worked with our friends at Pixar to bring together the Academy Award-winning film Soul with his compositions as his role as creative expert, sharing his stories with our friend Ed Catmull and the creative geniuses at Pixar to make that happen. So that's how I introduce you today, Harold. How would you like to introduce yourself? Well, thank you, Mark, for that lovely introduction. It's always a pleasure to connect with you and share a space with you. So I'm Harold. I was born in Arusha, Tanzania in a small uh, village. My mom's born and raised there. My dad's born and raised in Kansas City. He met her when he moved there. And after I was born, we came back to the U.S. I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, and I currently reside in New York City. I'm a pianist, composer, creative artist, producer, um, social entrepreneur. These are some of the things I do, and they have many branches. I'm also a son, I'm a brother, I'm also a husband. And congratulations on your recent-ish nuptials to the amazing Samara Were Thank you. I was just thinking this morning, my man, about, you know, we'd met a couple of times at some convenings in San Francisco, and then unbeknownst to us, we both said yes to a bus tour uh, that happened in 2017, right after... Uh, the one who will go nameless got elected south of the border. Right. And we jumped on Willie Nelson's, I believe it is, you can time time check me on this, 1978 tour bus together. That sounds about right. Yeah. And we lived on that bus for 17-ish days, almost 20. And we toured across what used to be referred to uh, as the Rust Belt and convened people from all different walks of life. And... My role was cooking and holding space, and your role was um, bringing people's heart center out through music and holding space. And man, we really got to see some things together there, but I got to know you, the real, you know, hour 715 on the bus, Harold O'Neill, right? 
And th- <laughs> that that was my favorite part of it. And you know, I was trying to make meals in the middle of the country with crazy dietary restrictions from you know Subway vegetable trays and and gas station mm-hmm. dried goods. But really, watching you work with people to see that everyone is creative. So, can you talk a little bit about that thought for you and how you bring that, no matter where you go? Sure. Yeah, I believe that. Every one of us, uh, creativity is a crucial part to how we live our lives and how we survive. And it's been a key resource in our species as, as humans surviving all of these years. And someone can say, and plenty of people do say, that I'm not creative, I'm not an artist. Mm. And I know what they mean when they say that. For me, I believe that if you have a heartbeat and if you breathe, then you are creative. We may not always be connected to that awareness of that part of ourselves. At the same time, it is still there. I love that. And so some of the methodologies in which we evoke people's creativity and knowledge of self, if you will, We got to work together, and so we both love storytelling. We both love sharing story. And then Harold would freestyle, which he's going to do for us later in the show as well, in part, um, with his keyboard. So you can imagine, just let me set the the stage for you. We pull into a small town, into this like giant warehouse, and Harold's got keyboard under shoulder, and I've got like whiteboard tablet under shoulder and we've got just a circle of chairs and we've got third generation coal miners we've got formerly homeless artists we've got folks from senior leadership at pixar we've got like some incredible like cooks and friends and musicians and we're really just trying to figure out what happened where did we go wrong along this path to find ourselves in the place we did and music just helped so much but is there any of those moments where you're working with people and they're so dug in that I am not creative, I'm not an artist, then you've seen them turn that stands out for you? Yeah, um, plenty of examples of that. What I notice though, is that sometimes when people say that, they can mean it as an invitation. Mm. They'll say, oh, I'm not creative. Oh, me? No, no, I'm not creative. No, I have a part of me that likes to, communicate in that way where uh i establish a boundary i set some boundary and really at the same time i'm inviting them to cross and then you have uh another situation where someone is uh saying i'm not creative and they're saying that's it i'm going straight to third base and heading home conversation's over even then i'd like to find an opportunity there because another thing that i believe is that conflict is natural, unavoidable, and to be desired. And it's a great resource to us. Conflict is natural, unavoidable, and to be desired. So I, for myself, look at that moment and say, how can I explore creatively enjoying the conflict of them saying they're not creative? What a beautiful prompt and reframe, right? And I think this is, martial arts comes to my mind immediately, right? I'm in my Tai Chi Aikido brain. As soon as that you say that is saying, 
I'm going to take this negative as an invitation and find a comfortable way for us to have a discussion because this conflict is actually going to create beauty in a way. I mean, there's three episodes to unpack and what he just said in like 18 words. And that's why the man is an artistic genius. In my life, I've had the opportunity to have so many wonderful teachers and mentors. And from one of them, I've learned this thing about conflict here. And at the same time, realized it's always been present in my life. There's an opportunity there for me to find a way to enjoy it. I can tell you how um, during COVID, um, Samara's father figure passed. We had not heard from him for a while and went to do a check on him. And uh, we banged and banged on the door and we just knew something wasn't right. Neighbors came out and she said, I I live right next door. We go into her apartment. This is on the sixth floor. I decided to go out the window through the fire escape, step over the gap, which was six floors below, falling six floors down. And it wasn't a tremendous leap, but still had to step across the gap, go through his fire escape window into his bedroom. and. I found him, and he had passed. And Samara, I let her in through the other side, and we screamed and hollered and held each other and had that moment together. And the police arrived. They did what they were supposed to do and made sure we were okay and started doing their process. And at that time, I looked at my hands, And I had this stench on my hands from his body. I had never felt anything like that. And I got home, Mark, and I would try to wash my hands. And no matter how much I washed, that stench would not come off, man. It would not come off. And I tell you, I was so proud to have that stench to wash off of my hands. I can enjoy conflict. There is a gift in enjoying conflict. It is to be desired. An incredible honor to be the person to discover someone as they pass versus what may be perceived or popularized as the horror. You talk about Mm -hmm. the screaming and yelling you and Samara did, which is the release of energy Mm -hmm. and a discovery of a loss or transition rather, the lens at which you look at life. Mm -hmm. There's a resolution on the other side of conflict. But first of all, I want to honor you. Thank you for sharing that story with us and with the listeners. I think I spoke to you a few days afterwards, but it's Mm -hmm. an incredibly powerful part of life uh, to be able to be present for someone's transition. I was with my mom a few months ago Mm -hmm. in a similar way as that transition was happening over a week and her last breaths, mm. her stubborn last breaths as she held on for a full week. Uh, mm. She was no longer with us in, in mind, but was there in spirit. And I think you witness people approach those situations in one of two ways. One in a just horror and terror and how can I get out of this and when will it be over? And the other side of it is what a distinct honor it is to be able to be by somebody's side. Do you have any other moments that are sort of top of mind. First of all, living as a black man in America, let's just put that Mm -hmm. straight on the table for our viewers at home on the fourth wall. (laughs) 
Yes, I'm black. <laughs> being a black male artist in America in an incredibly oppressive and repressive society, how has that shown up for you? Well, there are many parts to this. We just uh, we watched Argo last night, the Ben Affleck movie about these hostages being held in Iran in 1979. Uh, I think this went on from 79 to 81. So one part of this is that there are a lot of messed up things about it, horrific things about it, and at the same time, it's not exactly the same as that, and I'm thankful for that. It's okay to be thankful for that and still be upset and frustrated and uh, about what's happening here today now. Also, another part of that was um, my uncle is the former leader of the Black Panther Party. That's right. He's in exile. And that's how I ended up being born in Tanzania. He's there in exile now. And my dad was a former captain and security captain in the Panther Party. And he moved to Africa to find a new life. The world that they grew up in here in America, when they look at what's happening today, they see it as progress. And at the same time, so much more work to be done. Right. We're still in the early days. I wouldn't be surprised if it's another 100 or 200 years before we really get past all this stuff, if we do. That's my hope. I mean, I would love to talk more about male figures and growing up. Um, you know, I've got to hear some great stories about your uncle and your father. This is not the topic I thought we were going to cover, but I'm so excited that we're here, right? Which is... Mm -hmm conflict. We are in denial and refusal of conflict. What did I read yesterday? I'm going to miss Twitter. Let me just say that. I don't, I don't spend much time on it, but I love, <laughs> I love 140 characters or less of straight gospel. And somebody wrote, if you are still learning history and you find it joyful and you're proud, then you're not learning history whatsoever. Mm, yeah. That resonates right? with me for sure. Yeah. Teacher mm -hmm. KRS-One, Blastmaster KRS-One, like the things that have been being said mm -hmm. from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, straight up until now, are avoidance, are absolute right. avoidance of said conflict. The conflict mm -hmm. that is required to bring us there is what you're referring to. Because the conflict that the Panthers centered needed to happen then. Yeah. Did it have to happen that way? Was it Huey Newton's way? Well, I mean, there's all sorts of schools of thought on how it could have happened. But if the honorable things were being done, violence is never necessary. That's right. If the honorable things are being done, and we know that none of them are, and of course, in no way on this show or elsewhere do we co-opt violence in any way. But when we look at history and the way things have unfolded and continue to unfold, there's only so much any being can tolerate because you are the master of tools. And one of the reasons I wanted you to, to come and be on the show with us today is to share what are some tools people at home can use when they face these types of adversity? So when you hit your peak levels, Harold, how do you then turn that energy into the beauty that you put out in the world? Because you are a nonstop flower cannon of beauty and creativity and art, right? So how does, when the hard things hit from childhood to now, how, how have you always been able to do that? Yeah. Well, uh, I actually, I have not always been able to do that. If I'm going to be completely honest, even today, I'm human. I have all these tools and tactics and techniques and resources. And at the same time, the other parts of me somehow get a hold of the wheel 
and try to drive me off of course or into a ditch or something. I don't know. And uh, talking about uh, avoiding conflict, there is a part of me that wants to avoid conflict. I learned that as a coping mechanism. And instead of eradicating that part of myself, and this is what I want to say to the listeners, any part of myself that I find dysfunctional, I don't want to eradicate it. I want to make that part of me my friend. So the addict in me, I want him to be my friend. The one who is anxious, insecure, and a hot mess, I want them to be my friend. And the way that I open the pathway to that kind of change starts with my connection to myself. I have my sensory information, which is what I hear, what I see, what I smell, what I taste, how my sensory information is received. I have no control over sensory information. It's all external. It's not my process. I have a body that has tools to receive that. Immediately after my sensory information, that is the first thing that I'm, I'm in charge of it, meaning it's my responsibility. If I'm saying I'm going to be in control of something, which every now and then I might say when I'm just running and running, uh, I take a moment, I back up, I say, Harold, stop. It's all right. There you go trying to control something again. And what do I see? What do I hear? What do I smell? What do I taste? What do I feel in my body physically? And then I breathe. And from then on, my goal is to be able to see what's true and what's not true. And to be able to see the difference with clarity. Just because I see someone behaving in a certain way, if I see them and their lip is pursing and their face is wincing, I could say that means they're upset. Harold, maybe they farted. Harold, what other people do is not about me. It's a simple concept. That's, that's what I do in the moment when conflict arises. So just the other day, my, my wife and I, every now and then we uh, married couples do what humans do. We have a little fight sometimes. And uh, we've been practicing enjoying conflict. I can enjoy being angry. Doesn't mean I sit there and stare at it until it becomes resentment. Like a teacher of mine says, when these things arise, you look at it. Don't stare at it. Let it pass. I focus on my breathing and I ask myself, what's really going on here? What's really true? What's not true? You're hearing Harold right now speak very softly and very chill. I have seen Harold go to 12 <laughs> in a heartbeat. So when he's talking about their fights, I'm like, okay, we're, we're, we're painting a very different, like we got some Dalai Lama vibes going on in the room right now, which I'm here for. But to hear you guys get creative with your anger makes me so happy because I can envision it. And my partner and I are both very alpha you know, we're very much yeah. the same and have learned to, in conflict, very much do the same thing. What's real and what isn't? What is my big T trauma? What is my bias? What is the lens that I am painting over what is occurring in my body right now? Because these are all emotions that don't belong to you. 
They belong to 12-year-old me. They belong to 17-year-old me. They belong to PTSD, complex, multi-layered PTSD. They don't belong to you putting a dirty spoon in the sink. <laughs> that's, not what this is, <laughs> that's not what this is about for me. Um, it's unhealed stuff. So I love you sharing this. And I'm just thinking about a quote from you. Um, I've got so many favorites. But I think yeah, we're talking about breath. And this quote from Harold is, our heartbeat improvises its own rhythm. Even though we can map it out, put it on a chart, and analyze it, it's still this unpredictable, unique rhythm that each and every one of us possesses. And I think that's such a, a layer that's indicative to control, right? Mm -hmm. To saying that we have control. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. We don't. Mm -mm. We really don't, right, brother? So um, with all of that, I want to like dovetail into to music and storytelling, which you truly, I mean, folks have got to listen to some of it already, right? Like I'm leaning back in my chair. I'm, <laughs> I forgot I was interviewing you a couple of times. I'm just, I'm back in the room with Harold. But say more about what that process looks like. Where does the rubber hit the road with control, your skill set, the art form, the creativity just being a conduit to it? Like how do you bring all of those things together to create. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really glad that you're asking me about this. I believe and know to be true that every single one of us has just as strong of a connection to music that I do. There's a reason why when we hear a chord, without having to be a musician, without having to know anything about music, when you hear a chord, you can tell that this is a sad chord. You can tell that this chord is a happy chord. You can tell that there's dissonance here. So the organization and system of composing and producing music, that was something that was created later. Mm. Yeah, it was something that was created for us to have a system for us to have a way to organize things. And I discovered that while it's great to have that resource there, at the same time, it's also true that it's good for me to let that go whenever I can. So I'd like to go back to those times when I first heard music and I had no idea, I didn't even know what a piano was. I didn't know what different styles of music were. I'm watching Tom and Jerry episode where Tom is a concert pianist and Jerry's the mouse with the mouse home inside of the piano, right? Mm. And they're doing their cat and mouse battle over the piano. And everything about music and storytelling is right there in that episode. And you don't have to be a professional musician to get it 100%. Whenever I compose music, that's where I go. Now, there is a business side of it. There is an industry side of it. And sure, depending on the project, okay, you want to be able to create a product that resonates with a certain target audience. You have your client, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, I'm not talking about that. That's a separate part. I'm talking about what happens before that. And the way I stay grounded in that process, I remember that not every song I write has to be heard by someone. It's good for me to write a song for myself that no one else hears. And the more we become established as professionals, we can lose sight of that and become disconnected from that. 
There are songs that I've written for my mom and dad that only they have heard. There are songs I've written for them that they'll never hear. Some of my favorite piano players to watch are kids that don't know how to play the piano. (laughs) Because the piano or any instrument, it reflects when you engage it. It's like a pool of water and you touch it and you see the ripples, right? And every Mm. instrument has their different way of rippling. In general, most kids, they have not yet learned to be afraid of the reflection or they have not yet learned to make some big meaning about what that reflection is. Oh man, this means I'm a failure. Uh, This means I'm not worth any, I'm not good enough. And I don't want to look at that, you know, or, and part of my goal with music is to help people connect to that part of themselves that knows not to judge that reflection. And I immediately called to to share that obviously cooking and, and music are the same for me. They're, they're one and the same. And when we're teaching kids, they also have zero fear of the kitchen. They don't have any of these preconceived notions of perfection. And so they go in and they just go hard. They trust their palates. They trust their, their sense of smell. They trust their eyes. They trust their own abilities. You know, during the pandemic, we were teaching kids over Zoom in their apartments. And they were five years old up to about 15. And watching six-year-olds like figure out how to pinch cut a knife, like to hold the knife properly instantly, right? Versus an adult who has had so many years of conditioning around that's sharp, I'm going to cut myself and hurt myself. Like that's an important fear to have, but control of your own body and your mastery uh, and also just your freestyling ability around things is so incredibly important. And I mean, how many rooms have you and I have been in a segue really quickly where we're there as facilitators to get adults who are stuck to play, right? Right. To play, right. to just be kids again. And it's like, this is for you to develop the next billion dollar idea. You need to tap into the kid with the puddle. And if you can't tap into that, you're lost, right? Because we, we lose our creativity through the shackles of normative behaviors. And so mm-hmm. I, I love those analogies, brother. I love hearing how that shows up for you in cooking. There's a quote by a woman named Virginia Satir, whose uh, work is a great uh, inspiration to the work I do in helping people make change. And the quote goes like this. We connect through what's the same and we grow from what's different. The things that are the same, that's how we connect. And the things that are different, well, those are all opportunities for growth. How can I be a better student of that? They can truly be opportunities for our own growth and to to blossom. It took everything in my power not to jump in when you were like, and this accord sounds sad. I'm like, this show us. Show us what that sounds like, man. I know you've got a keyboard there. Oh, yeah. And I, I would love you to genuinely, you can use me as the guinea pig if there's a participation portion into it, but around sure. storytelling, like show us how you speak with your hands, man. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So in all styles of music, no matter what genre, can be broken down to five simple chords. And they're all about conveying emotion and uh, expressing energy, physical movement. And the names of these chords were created later 
so we can have the system and how we connect to these cords. That's our bodies responding to the sensory information, which mm -hmm. we're receiving. And I'm going to show them to you right now. So the first cord sounds like this. That's a major chord associated with upward moving energy. This next chord. That's condensed energy. Imagine a center point, arrows pointing in from every direction. That's a minor chord, often associated with sadness. This chord. That's about downward moving energy connected to the earth. That's a dominant chord. You hear that in rock, gospel, blues. This chord. That chord is associated with floating energy, the augmented chord. You hear that a lot in dream sequences. And for this final chord, that chord is about chaos, chaotic energy, which is arrows moving outward in every direction from the center. And that's called the diminished chord. And every song can be broken down to those chords. So I'm going to take those chords and create a musical short story. Does that work? Of course it does. I'm like on the edge of my seat over here. You'll know these chords without having to know the names of them. I just told you the names of these chords. But more important than that, I want you to know that you already know what these chords are. There's a reason you hear a chord and it sounds sad to you. Thank you.
Oof. I felt all kinds of different things in my body as that was happening, man. I got to tell you, frankly, mm-hmm. in the, the beginning, as you kicked off, I felt like it, I was in 90s R&B territory. <laughs> I was listening yeah. to Silk and Shy and maybe Jodeci. I was, I was in that space. Yeah, uh, that's right. I see, and I love this part about you, man, how you know music. That sound that you described coming from the 90s, its roots obviously go way back. Branches go back to Africa, rhythms, and other branches go back through Europe uh, because of the instruments that are being used and uh, different approaches to harmony. And through the Black American experience, you have this birthplace of modern music that itself has many subgenres. Black American music. And uh, so you take a classical instrument like a piano and you take African rhythms. In New Orleans, there is a place called Congo Square where once a week the slaves were allowed to have instruments and make music. Think that day was on a Sunday. And that was where the tradition of black church music was born. Also jazz and blues came out of that as well. And so you take these chords from these hymnals that sound like this. And you put over time its exposure to African rhythm. And then you have the birthplace of gospel music. And at the same time, you have roots of blues, rhythm and blues. And you have uh, the roots of rock and roll. A lot of things happened musically in between that time until now. You fast forward a bit and you have these musicians that are fusing the sounds of gospel with the sounds of jazz. And then you have different uh, innovations happening in technology. And also with jazz, you have this gateway into an approach of classical harmony. And with classical harmony, you have these different resolutions. And the same thing, you put that African rhythm, you put that black American groove to it. That's how you get. There you go. I mean, you didn't even have to pay for this masterclass today, folks. You were just <laughs> happy to be here listening to it. And I just want to double click on something that's incredibly important. First of all, around music. It's obviously been a huge part of my life and playing records for over 30 years at this point, digging for records and on a nonstop scouring of the planet, even when we were on the bus. I think I came home with lots of life lessons, some deeper friendships, including you, and about 345s that I picked up along our tour, right? But when you say Black African music, we can just go ahead and say all music that has been popularized in Western culture comes from the Black American experience and going back to 16, 
19 all the way through. And we say mm-hmm. all of it. And people are like, country? Yes, country. Rock? Yeah, 100% rock mm-hmm. and roll. Right. Funk, jazz, rap, mm-hmm. blues, hip hop, for sure. House music is black music. Right. Like all of these genres, hip hop, the most important cultural movement on the planet has become the most popular way that we communicate across all countries, barriers, boundaries. This is all from the black African experience. So to acknowledge and honor that in every way that we move and is so, so incredibly important. This is medicine that we're talking about. So when those chords hit me, they resonate with my teenage experience. This is something I'm feeling, right? And you're like, yeah, hold mm-hmm. tight though. This is going back. Here's the 1800 link and here's the 1600 link. And this is how it all came about. Yes. Generationally, we feel it in our bodies as mm-hmm. you know the culmination of all of our ancestors. Brother, what an honor to have you here today. Like a real joy for me and I'm certain for, for those tuned in. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your time, your gifts uh, with us so openly and honestly. My pleasure. Absolutely. I can't wait to have you back, and I can't wait to, to give you a giant hug in person in New York City in a couple of months. Um, but lots of love, man. And again, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me, and lots of love to you and your community. You've been on better with my brother, Harold O'Neill. All the links in the bio to access Harold's music. Make sure to follow him on Instagram and all the other socials. Of course, as always, thank you for your intention and your attention in being here today. That's a wrap. 